The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. We're on the home stretch of week seven. It's Thursday here on Fantasy NBA Today. What's happening, everybody? I'm Dan Baspris. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to what often becomes a very large Wednesday recap show. And that'll certainly be one of the main points of this bad boy. Uh, and, you know, right on cue, both of the buy lows that we gave out yesterday followed that up with what I would consider fairly pedestrian games. Miles Turner was not good. He didn't block any shots. That was fairly unusual. Kristaps Porzingis was fine, 19-6 and six, with one block. Shot 7 out of 15. I maintain, I stand by what we were talking about on yesterday's show with Brandon. I, I, I really like these buy low sell highs. They don't always work out as fast as you might want them to. But I will point out one that's working pretty quick, and that's Larry Markkinen, who's showing signs of life here over the last few games. And I'm not sure that it doesn't have anything to do with Chris Dunn. But uh, we'll get to that bad boy in just a few moments here. Obviously, that game will be conquered partway through 10 game Wednesday to recap we'll go over the uh, four game Thursday try to keep this podcast in the 30 to 40 minute range if at all possible uh we'll be talking to coach on I believe it'll be either Monday's or Tuesday's show we'll push that one back just a little bit and then of course tomorrow wrap up the week with a long look towards the uh, Friday Saturday and Sunday cards part of our exercise and kind of tying the Friday show in with the Monday one but today's Thursday it's Fantasy NBA Today. It's a hoop ball presentation. It's also brought to you by our buddies at Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. So why don't we dive right on in? First of all, I want to thank everybody that has been um, writing in. We've been talking about all these contributor spots. Written, uh, if you wanted to be a writer at Hoop Ball, a podcaster, if you want to get involved in our brand new sales division with midday availability. Many of you have written in. We're in contact with one another. One thing I'll say on today's show that I think I mentioned yesterday again before we get started is if you wrote into me or to Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com, again, those are the ways you can get uh, in touch with us if you want to become, become part of the team. Uh, again, that's at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or the email address Team Hoopball, Team Hoopball at hoop-ball.com. If you wrote into me in any capacity... I got back to you. So if you're wondering and you haven't, you think you haven't heard from me, check your mentions on Twitter or your direct messages, check your spam folder, whatever it might be. I got back to all of you. So let's keep it going, man. If anybody else out there wants to get going as well, hit me up. Uh, we are obviously still looking at everybody. Just because you're a week or two late doesn't mean you're out of this thing. Bug me. The uh, Wednesday card started off with a blowout, finished with a blowout. There's just blowouts every which direction on this Wednesday card. I, I think the first four or five games of the of the slate were all blowouts. So we're going to have some areas where we can move through it a little bit of a better clip. But we'll pause where it, it deems necessary. Phoenix got whipped by Orlando. As Aaron Baines' health goes, so go the Phoenix Suns. You know, DeAndre Ayton is not that far from coming back now. I'm guessing that Aiton owners are are probably cognizant of that fact. But you might lob a little bit of a buy low to somebody 
in your league. Whoever has DeAndre Ayton, see if you can pry them away for something like a third or fourth rounder. Maybe that person is losing and they want to just get some wins under their belt if it's head-to-head. It's probably not going to work. But even on the 10-15% chance that it does, it's worth trying. It's worth trying. That's all. You're playing the percentages there. In any event, with no Aaron Baines and obviously no DeAndre Ayton, things devolved quickly for Phoenix once again. Frank Kaminsky actually had a good ball game, but you're not buying into that nonsense. Ricky Rubio got his nine assists, but there just was no there was no flow to this thing. Orlando is a good defensive team. Uh, reserves got some extra garbage time at the end of this ball game, so guys like Devin Booker were terrible. Dario Saric, who actually had been playing pretty well with none of the other centers healthy, he was you know okay at best. And uh, Czech Diallo had 16 and four with a couple of steals, but no, you're not you're not buying into that. I mean, they're down two centers right now, guys, and both of them could be back shortly. Even our good buddy Kelly Oubre finally cooled off for a game, although he did at least have a couple of steals to sort of escape not completely or uh, only slightly scathed. For Orlando, this was the Aaron Gordon wake-up game. 32-5-5, and five, five threes, a steal, made all of his shots, missed a free throw, but who cares? Otherwise, this was just a fantastic line. Mo Bamba got some extra run, uh, and he had a steal in four blocks, made all four of his shots. That was a great game, but 18 and a half minutes, you're just not buying into that. Terrence Ross caught fire. He had 22 and two steals. I was just kind of in the process yesterday of downgrading him from 10th man to streamer, and then he was like, screw you, Dan. I'm going to go back to being a 10th man again. And there are obviously a lot of formats where that makes sense, but he really doesn't do much else, so you you kind of have to be in that right pocket. Markel Fultz cooled off a little bit. He really needs to pile up assists to go along with field goal percent because he doesn't hit three-pointers, and so when that stuff isn't there, you get... Basically this, which is like the ultimate top 115 fantasy line. DJ Augustine actually played pretty well in this ballgame. Evan Fournier had 21 again. He just continues to truck right along. And actually, the one guy who didn't have a good ballgame was Jonathan Isaac. But if you're worried about that, dude, uh, don't be. He's been fine. <laughs> He's been quite fine. Um, and he will continue to be fine. Although, you know, as we've mentioned before, he is obviously a sell high because he's not going to be in the top... 16 or whatever he was coming into that ball game all season long. It's just it's just not going to happen. He had had to keep up too crazy of a steal and block rate. The Warriors are terrible. They got D'Angelo Russell and Draymond Green back. This was a bona fide fade the return of the star players game, and um and I and I didn't bet it like an idiot. Uh, Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham both exploded because the Warriors just don't guard anybody right now. Uh, PJ Washington played 33 minutes, which was good. Didn't do much with it, which was not good. Cody Zeller's coming off the bench behind Bismack Biombo, who also didn't play enough to be relevant. Marvin Williams actually played the fourth most minutes on the team. And that, I mean, weird things will happen in games that are basically a blowout. Uh, PJ Washington is a guy that I, I've kind of downgraded to off of my team. I, I get it if you're sort of feeling like hanging on for dear life because intermittently he is still seeing 33 minutes but it's it's inconsistent at best he's not taking many shots right now since this team's gotten healthy his steals and blocks have come way down after a torrid start to those to start the year um he's not he doesn't shoot free throws well so that's not exactly a a buttressing aspect of his game his field goal percent has been trending down after a crazy hot start to the year uh he's number 117 over the last month 
and he's number 160 over the last two weeks. So I'm just, I'm basically out. I don't see the upside with him at this point anymore, not when there are all of these other guys ahead of him in the pecking order. So if you want to deal with it, be my guest. I just, I don't, I don't think it's worthwhile. On the Warriors side, when they're closer to healthy, things get a little murky. D'Angelo Russell took 14 shots, which led the team. His 31 and a half usage rate basically led the team for anybody that was out there for more than a couple of minutes. Um, but he wasn't very good. And I don't know that there are going to be these Mondo games like the ones that he posted the first time everybody was out besides him. Because some of these other guys now have kind of wedged their way into a role that they didn't have before all of the Warriors' main dudes went down. You know, Alec Burks is going to take a bunch of shots, and Eric Pascal is going to take a bunch of shots, and Glenn Robinson is going to try to get himself involved. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein is droppable. I know he had a decent ball game here with three defensive stats, but Looney is very slowly going to start coming for his minutes, and Kevon came off the bench in this one. He played 12 minutes, 7-3 and three with an assist. Not a good line, not far from it. I mean, we're still waiting for the kind of wake-up line from him. Uh, but he was out for six weeks. They're going to slowly work him back in. And as I said on uh, two days ago on the pod, I- I'm looking for him to see what he's like about three or four games in. So I sort of don't care about these. If he did something awesome, I'd be like, oh, great. That- this is happening faster than expected. Uh, but I- there was no expectation of awesome here. The Warriors, uh, important to reiterate, are on a 10-game stretch without a back-to-back game. So most of the main guys, the Loonies, the Greens, the D'Angelos, should play here, basically rolling up through Christmas. This is an opportunity to get a feel for what this team might look like when they're not in the midst of a bunch of back-to-backs or random fake injuries. Or real. I don't know what they are. Uh, Marquise Chris, only 14 minutes. Omari Spellman, only 13. Those guys are going to trend down here with Raymond Green and Kevon Looney back in the lineup. Uh, Kai Bowman played 24 minutes. He's going to trend down with D'Angelo Russell back. I don't know that any of these guys stay above the cut line. This is why I was so afraid to roll the dice on these dudes when the stars were out. They were only somewhat consistent then, and now there's just no consistency because suddenly, particularly Russell, you throw the highest usage guy back into the mix. I think D'Angelo is going to be in that probably in the top 50 range with the Warriors as long as he stays on the court. If I could trade him for a top 65 guy that I know is going to play out the rest of the season, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would do it in a heartbeat. I know a lot of people are like, well, he's going to get traded. Yeah, he's not going to get traded to a place where he's going to be the number one option. That ain't happening. Draymond Green is going to be a disaster. Uh, Let's just hope he can get a few well-rounded lines over this 10-game no-back-to-back stretch, and then you can flip him for like a top 90 guy. Again, we're looking for ways out of this mess. Uh, Pascal, I, I don't fully trust with other people healthy around him. Alec Burke, same issue. Kevon Looney, I'm sitting on him for another week, as I just mentioned, to see how this thing shapes up. Uh, Devontae Graham hit 10 three-pointers in a real whopper of a game. So I was talking about guys that were sort of hovering near the edge of the top 100. This obviously pushes him way back inside of that mark. Terry Rozier has actually been okay lately. He's sitting at number 85. His field goal percent is up a lot this year from where at least a lot of us, myself included, expected. He had another nice ball game here. Oh, everybody does against the Warriors, but it counts nonetheless. Uh, so he's sitting inside the top 80 range right now. Um, he's never going to be that you know top 50 guy that folks were hoping for because of the areas of inefficiency, but he does pop off every once in a while. And I don't know that you can use anybody else on this team. Miles Bridges has been trending up 
But at a certain point, you're just sort of holding and waiting and praying. Both he and his brother are sitting in the 155 range right now, which is admittedly better for Miles than it was two weeks ago. Um, he's, he's just inside the top 100 over the last two weeks, and that's fine. You know, the steals are up a tiny bit. The blocks are at about half a block a game. I think I'm probably gripping tightly there a little bit longer, but just like P.J. Washington, I mean, if this thing doesn't, you know, we're seven weeks into the season now. It's time to start making something happen. Milwaukee blew out Detroit. Another blowout for the Detroit Pistons. They're either winning or losing in a blowout every single freaking game. Um, they gave their guys a little bit of extra run for unknown reasons. They they had no business winning this ball game, and they just kept falling farther behind. But I, I don't know. They, there was some blood between the two clubs, so whatever. Uh, Andre Drummond's free throw numbers are coming back to earth, but his other stuff has been solid as usual. Uh, two steals, three blocks. Langston Galloway had a 20-point explosion. Derrick Rose, 14-5 with a steal. He was fine. Blake Griffin, 16-10, and 10, super inefficient. He was a guy we told nobody to draft, so hopefully you dodged him altogether. And then on the Milwaukee side, it's the main four. Giannis, Chris, Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez. You're not extending it any farther than those guys, nor should you. And they beat the hell out of them, so, you know, there you go. Honest to goodness, if you can figure out the Miami Heat, you're a smarter man than I. They were 15-5 and five coming into this game. They looked great almost every night, and then they just got smoked by the Boston Celtics. I don't get it. Teams shot the exact same percentage from the field. Uh, Heat committed nine more turnovers than the Celtics did. Got out-rebounded by five, but really it was the turnover margin that, that dictated the end of this ballgame. The foul discrepancy was there, but not overwhelming. You know, the... The foul number was 20 to 25. Some of them happen to be our shooting variety. Celtics obviously made more of their foul shots. Jimmy Butler tried to keep his team in this thing by himself, and it wasn't enough. Also of note on this one, on the, the Miami side, first of all, Bam Adebayo missed both of his free throws, committed four turnovers. At what point, and, and you know, it might, it might be the end of the year. The answer might just be the end of the season. At what point do we start to think that maybe he was a little overdrafted? He's got an insane, insane fantasy line with the glaring exception of free throw percent, which has been flat out terrible this year and at a pretty high volume as well. His turnovers are high, but that's because they're running a bunch of their offense through him, and, and that's why he's got four assists ballgame. So there's a lot of stuff to like. 57% from the field, 14, 10, and 4 with over one and a half steals and over a block a game. Yeah, kind of trending down. Free throw percent has actually gotten a little bit better after a, a very slow start to the year, but not by a ton. He's at like 70-something over the last few weeks after pitching in in the mid-60s to start the season. So, you know, there's obviously a very quick ascent for Bam, and that's kind of sitting on his ability to make some free throws, but I don't know that it's going to happen. Even if he gets back up to 70, he's shooting so many most games that that's still going to hurt you a lot. And I know they're running a lot of things through him, and I know he's going to play a boatload of minutes, but a boatload doesn't always mean, you know, top 30-type finishing value. He might just be a top 50-per-game guy. I think there's still enough buzz and hype around his name because of the non-free throw and turnover stuff that you could probably get someone inside the top 40 for Bam by himself right now just because 
it's very easy to look at him and see, well, what if? Maybe it does fix itself. I don't know, but I don't think he's ever going to get close to being a non-negative in a department where he's taking a lot of free throws. Uh, Justice Winslow had 10-7-4, but missed some shots, missed some free throws, and committed some turnovers, and that's always going to be the, the rub with him. Kendrick Nunn had another very poor shooting game. Plenty of opportunity continues to be the case, but uh, some of those things actually have to go through the bucket. I wondered on the big, the uh, Real Big Three podcast if Duncan Robinson could be one of the other guys for this team, and he looked really good again, actually. He's kind of played his way into minutes as a guy that can reliably space the floor. He's actually, believe it or not, number 94 on a per-game basis in 9-cat. Admittedly, a lot of that is contingent on guys being hurt all the time. But guess what? Goran Dragic is hurt again. You know? <laughs> it's it's the, the We could say that eventually everybody's going to be healthy on the Heat, but I don't know that that's true. They might not eventually all be healthy. He's very specialisty, you know, three three-pointers a game, and he's making basically one out of one free throws a night. Uh, and, and he's doing it on a field goal percent that, that really isn't killing you, which is also kind of amazing. But he's somehow right on the edge of the radar in 9-cat. The guy I like more, though, is Kelly Olynyk, and, and I was getting ready to bail on him after that one basically zero he put up. It was a zero in six minutes at Brooklyn. I've got to think something was wrong. Like, he did something to piss off Spolstra, or he had the flu, or I, I honestly have no idea, because the game surrounding that, he, he's been a top 80 guy. You take that one game out, basically for the last month he's been a top 80 guy. That's not even a question of should he be on a roster. Top 80 is a must-own guy. I, I honestly, I can't figure what the hell happened in that one basketball game, but it it appears to be the aberration because he's been very good in everything else. He was good in this one despite foul trouble in the first half. Played better in the second half. I mean, he played fine in both. So I think you're looking at three horses on this team. Jimmy Butler, Bam, and Kelly Olynyk. Duncan Robinson somehow, believe it or not, is actually the fourth option in terms of fantasy. For the Celtics, Daniel Tice won the center minutes in this ballgame. Ennis Cantor and uh, the Time Lord picked up the scraps there. And if you can figure out who's going to go on any given night, you're the winner. Because uh, I am officially calling it someone else's headache. I want nothing to do with the Celtics' center spot. I will wait patiently for Gordon Hayward to come back, and they'll just be a four-guard wing team from a fantasy perspective. Easy peasy. Uh, Jared Allen exploded in the second half against the Atlanta Hawks. He was just picking on that small Hawks team that basically doesn't have a center that can keep up with anybody. Uh, Torian Prince, you want to call it a revenge game, had 23. Garrett Temple had 27. Good gravy. Joe Harris, 13. Spencer Dinwiddie had 24. Seven turnovers. But again, he'll just keep rolling along until anybody comes back. We did get word yesterday that Kyrie Irving is hoping to be back in one to two weeks. That's brutal. That's brutal. So you're just hanging on to these main guys. Um, we haven't talked about Garrett Temple at all because every time you talk about Garrett Temple, he disappears. You know, he's like flipping on a light switch. As soon as you look at him, he's gone. But overall, I mean, obviously he started the year very poorly. Lately, he's actually been pretty damn good. 
He's been missing his free throws. I can't fully explain that one. And there's been a dearth of steals where that would usually, I think, be a little bit higher in his very high number of minutes he's played lately. He's averaging 34 minutes a game basically since Kyrie went down. And the opportunity is going to fluctuate on a night-to-night basis. But he has a pair of six three-pointer games mixed in there. He has a pair of four three-pointer games blended in there. Uh, He's inside the top 100 over the last two weeks. He's inside the top 60 over the last week. He seems like he's actually an okay streaming option, provided you're okay with the fact that he's going to probably follow up a 27-point game with a 7-point game. But he's just on the floor long enough right now to get four rebounds and three assists and a steal. So if you're looking at like 14-4-3, or 14-4-4 with a steal and a couple of three balls, that's actually worth using, yes, in the short term, very streamy, but... To ignore it is, I think, maybe doing a disservice. He's a better streamer right now than some of the other guys floating around. Trey Young at 39-10 and 10 in a losing effort for the Hawks, who I've just... I know they need John Collins, but, they, I mean, it feels like they took a step back. Jabari Parker sort of run out of gas in this fill-in role. Cam Reddish had 25-3, and three, or 25-6, three steals a block and four three-pointers. Alex Len had 18-7. and seven. He's actually had a couple of okay ball games in a row, but no, it's Alex Len, so you're not buying into that nonsense. Damian Jones had 20-8 and eight with a block. He's a guy that I really have liked, but I can't imagine that his role is secure in any way. They played a team that likes to run a traditional center out there. Uh, so Jones and Len, they, they, the Hawks were able to sort of match them with big guys. Uh, Kevin Herter came back, played 15 minutes and did nothing. I'm, I know that everybody's really high on him. And I know that I'm the one guy out on the Island saying, I don't see anything in his fantasy game that gets me all that excited. And maybe he comes around, but he's, he's so far down the list right now in terms of guys with upside there, there's minimal, especially when Collins comes back. So I'm not that interested in Herter. I, I think you can go a different direction. Indiana, a tough one for Miles Turner. Didn't block any shots. Normally, if he goes for 12 and 4, you'll see two or three blocks, and that kind of saves the line, but uh, not to be. Demonis Sabonis was solid. Justin Holiday was good off the bench again. Looks like he's going to have a decent role until Victor Oladipo comes back. Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren, Malcolm Brogdon, you guys know the drill. Uh, Steven Adams starting to look a little bit better. 20 and 9 with a couple of blocks. He went a perfect 8 for 8 from the field and 4 for 4 at the free throw line. It's been a tough year to have Steven Adams on your fantasy team, but he's very slowly starting to peel himself off the ground. Four of his last five ball games have actually been excellent. I, I might even argue five of his last six. And after a truly awful start to the year, um, he's number 30 over the last week, and he's number 35 over the last two weeks. So he's come along. He looks good. Nerlens Noel in 20 minutes is still very much a startable guy. Danilo Gallinari. Dennis Schroeder had a slightly better game. Shea uh, had a rough shooting game, and for Chris Paul, he took a little bit more of a back seat, but still got his 10 assists, and so it goes. Even on kind of the slow nights, he, because of his ability to get assists and not turn the ball over, he can keep from taking a big hit on a bad night. So I'm good with that. Uh, Memphis got Jonas Valanciunas back, and they needed him to stay competitive. Valanciunas had 32-13 and 13 with three steals and a block, and he just devoured everything Chicago threw at him. Sadly, however, for Valanciunas, he didn't get much help. JJJ uh, had 15 points on 20 shots in this ballgame. DeAnthony Melton played better than Tyus Jones by quite a bit and probably deserves to be the streaming guy. 
as long as John Morant is out. Jay Crowder had 15 and rem- and remains right at the edge of rosterable. He's your 10th man uh, player on this one. And then I had a question on Twitter about Solomon Hill, and, and I think this result pretty much answers that one. I don't I don't care that he's playing decent minutes. He's just not good. Zach Levine had 25, got to the free throw line a bunch. Tomas Sadoransky had a good one. Wendell Carter Jr. had a good one. Larry Markinett had a decent one. And even Chris Dunn had a decent one. There's actually something slightly settling about the Chicago Bulls right now. And I actually want to loop back to Chicago. That's going to be the team that we really focus on here as we look back at these Wednesday box scores. So let's go through the last few games. Uh, Minnesota, Dallas, Lakers, Utah, and Sacramento, Portland. And then we'll come back to Chicago. Uh, because that's the one, that's actually a game that's moving the needle for me a tiny bit. Minnesota-Dallas, this was a game that the Timberwolves actually led by uh, double digits at times. Jared Culver made his free throws. And so we, we got a little bit of a glimpse of why he was a guy worth holding on to and benching. I know if you had him benched, you missed out on a good ball game here. Uh, but when his percentages improve, and, and they have to eventually, nobody shoots 40% for a year at the free throw line, he, he can make a pretty quick jump. So he should probably be on your basketball team. He should probably be kind of chilling on your bench somewhere. And, and you just you kind of have to wait around to see when it's all going to sort itself out. Uh, I, I don't, I legitimately don't know when that's going to be. I don't. I have no idea. Um, and if you're in a league where you have to start him, he, he's a rough guy to throw into your lineup because of the percentages. But I do think you have to at least put him on a roster and sort of see how it shakes out. There are plenty of guys that I would say you could drop for him, guys that have minimal upside. Um, so, you know, you can flip dudes on and off your team like that. Even if he gets his free throw percent up near 70, at least then he's not drilling a hole in your team uh, the way that 40% is. I mean, 40%, guys, that's a that's an obscene number. It's, true, it's truly disturbing. So, a uh, good ball game for Jared Culver. That pushed Jeff Teague outside a little bit. He still got his 27 minutes, but didn't do anything with them. Uh, Rob Covington was great. He is one of the quiet winners so far this year. No one's talking about Covington at all, and he's number 52. Right around where he was drafted, with upside. With upside. Makes an extra part of a three-pointer, gets an extra part of a steal, and the whole thing just rockets up another five to ten slots. I love it. You're getting exactly what you wanted out of him, and he's had his health, so that's cool. Andrew Wiggins, super inefficient in this ballgame, but his great season continues overall, aside from the bad field goal percent tonight. Dwight Powell hurt his arm, but he was in the midst of a brilliant game. 24 points on nine shots. Do I think he can do it again? I don't know, man. I mean, the Mavericks are all over the map from a fantasy standpoint. They, they keep winning ball games because they have talent and they're deep. But for Dwight Powell, I mean, this is really two good ball games out of his last, like, 12. I, I can't trust it much as I'd like to. He's, he's just not, he's not close. One big ball game isn't going to do it. Kristaps Porzingis was fine. Mentioned him much earlier in the show. Luka Doncic was actually not good in this ball game. The fact that they still won is a testament to the other guys. Jalen Brunson played well. Maxi Kleba played well. 
Delon Wright was a, a guy that I was watching. He only got 17 minutes, 4-3-4. and four. It's, it's just really hard for anybody on Dallas to string anything together because of the hot hand dynamic. Same deal for Tim Hardaway Jr. He saw plenty of minutes in this ballgame. The starters actually got benched a little bit. You saw lower minutes for all of the starters uh, in, this con- in this contest. I think if you need three-pointers and generally some steals here, Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably worth hanging on to. But it's the same thing we've seen with Dallas a whole bunch, and that is, from a consistency standpoint, it's really hard to find it. And there's going to be an aspect of just grabbing the guys whose uh, whose value makes the most sense on your team. Lakers complete the victories at altitude. Beat Denver yes, uh, two days ago, excuse me, Utah last night. LeBron James, Rajon Rondo, Anthony Davis, all very, very good in this one. JaVale McGee, only 14 minutes, but still managed to churn out sort of near fantasy value. Dwight Howard hit a three-pointer in this game. What? And Kyle Kuzma had four steals, three blocks, and three three-pointers. Figure this damn game out for me while going two for seven at the foul line. What the crap game was this? This is, I mean, this was a fantasy line that was all over the map. Kudos to Rajon Rondo. I, I, I'll say, you know, you guys know I watched the Laker games live pretty much every single time. Rondo looked like the fastest player on the floor. Blew my mind. I mean, if you think that this is going to keep up on a night-to-night basis, you've got another thing coming. He's not going for 14, 9, and 12 every game. Uh, this one had a whole bunch of garbage time. He played some extra minutes. You know, LeBron only needed 29. Anthony Davis only needed 26. They didn't have to go to Danny Green or Caruso any extra. So Rondo picked up uh, had a little bit of fun, basically. He's uh, not a simple player to own in fantasy because there are going to be those games where he plays like 11, 12 minutes. And when Avery Bradley comes back, it's probably going to put a pretty good ding on his ball game. But they like that he can take the ball out of LeBron's hands and they can they can run a little bit of offense through him just to give other people a break. Is he a nine-category guy? No. Even with this big ball game. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously going to shift the balance of his last seven if you organize it that way. But long term, you're looking at a guy near 150. You have to have a very specific need on your fantasy team for a guy with bad percentages, both of them, field goal and free throw, that can get you some assist steals and maybe a three ball or two real fast and almost nothing else. So don't get too excited about it. It was something. It was something. Um, Honestly, I'd rather have JaVale McGee in a nine-category league. Boyan Bogdanovich bounced back. Donovan Mitchell bounced back, uh, but that was it. rest of the Utah Jazz were terrible. Joe Ingles in his fill-in job didn't go well at all. And, uh, boy, I mean, for folks that were questioning whether the Lakers could handle the, the slightly tougher schedule in December, they've come out and they've just clobbered two of the what folks consider, myself included, upper echelon Western Conference teams, some, clubbed the Jazz after... Uh, beating up on the Nuggets the night before. that, that Pretty good road wins. Sacramento-Portland, high-scoring game. Uh, Carmelo Anthony was decent again, but also in sort of the same exact sentence showed off his limitation, which is he's not going to do much besides score and rebound. And that's why we keep talking about how he makes more sense in a points format where he can actually be decent at two categories and be useful. You know, he'll have the same value as someone who's you know, just fine in like six different categories. He can be above average in two, but in a nine-category league, fine, you give him three because he's not going to turn the ball over. Three out of nine categories isn't going to get it done. Four if you give him free-throw shooting. 
So very much a points league option. Uh, Rodney Hood is not going to have the usage even with the high minutes, so he's been pushed to the outside. Hassan Whiteside's great season continues. And CJ McCollum actually has been waking up a little bit lately too, which, frankly, the Blazers have needed because I think Dame is still playing through something. I mean, he was fine, but he hasn't had one of those, you know, white-hot explosion games in a little bit, basically since we started hearing about an injury. For the Kings, Trevor Ariza now is back in the rotation, which apparently is not great for Harrison Barnes. I don't know that that's going to be a thing that happens every single game, uh, but it does give them an opportunity to kind of go extra wings. Uh, Nemanja Bialica continuing to play well with Marvin Bagley out, but that probably is short-lived. Buddy Heald was uh, a little bit better in this ballgame. And then Rashawn Holmes is just awesome. Every time out, he's freaking awesome. De'Aaron Fox still out for at least two to three more weeks from, by all indications, they're still a couple weeks away. Marvin Bagley, we might see him next week. Bogdan Bogdanovich was out in this ballgame. Forgot to mention that. Uh, dealing with a knee contusion, so that actually opened up some of those extra minutes for Ariza as well. If Bogdanovich was back and Ariza was healthy, I'm thinking you might see a little bit less Corey Joseph, but also the Kings are prone to do some pretty goofy stuff, so I would uh, refrain from putting anything of that nature in stone. I mean, really, you know, almost almost anything can happen uh, with the Sacramento Kings. I know that you know, they've, they've figured out at least a few of the things they need to do, like play Rashawn Holmes, uh, but they also signed these mysterious veterans, and so now you're you're stuck with that. But let's loop back to the Chicago Bulls. That's that's a team that I actually really wanted to spend the most time on, and I know we've, we've actually cooked up a whole bunch of time already on these these Wednesday box scores, because I think we're, we're hitting another one of those inflection points during the season. But Chicago, and admittedly, their schedule has not been hard lately, but they've now won eight ball games on the year, which as depressing as they've been and as bad as they've been, and when I talk about the Knicks being super depressing and Bulls fans are like, we're depressing too, yeah, but they've won twice as many games as the Knicks at this point, and amazingly, amazingly, are two and a half games out of a playoff spot after two wins in a row. The Bulls kind of hit rock bottom when they got beat up by the Warriors in San Francisco. That that was a bad one. They got clobbered by the Blazers. They got smoked by the Warriors. They lost to the Blazers again. The thing was, in that game against the Blazers in Portland, that was about as good as the Bulls have looked since their win over the Hawks on November 6th. Yeah, they beat the Knicks on the 12th, but come on, almost anybody could beat the Knicks at this point. And I thought the Bulls actually played pretty well against the Lakers on the 5th. That that was back when Otto Porter was still playing for them. Um, The thing that's changed now lately, at least from just a straight personnel standpoint, is Chris Dunn has been in the starting five. Initially, this was seemingly by necessity. Chandler Hutchinson is out has been out for a few games now. Who the hell else are they missing? There's a bunch of guys that are missing for this team. Uh, Hutchinson out. Uh, I think, is Ryan Archidiacono out as well? Doesn't matter. Shaq Harrison was sort of the guy that they plugged in when they absolutely had to. The point of it is, 
They desperately didn't want to mess with the starting five. Jim Boylan wanted consistency, which is great if your team is winning basketball games, but when you're horrible and losing and losing a lot, I don't know that consistency is necessarily your best friend. So finally, finally, Boylan or the Bulls or necessity, somebody forced Chris Dunn into the starting lineup. Said, go figure it out. They wanted to separate him from Zach Levine because Levine is so ball dominant. And for Chris Dunn, he really can't do much if he's not orchestrating a fair amount in the offense. He's not a great scorer. He rebounds, passes, and gets steals from the point guard spot. By the way, he fouled out of this game against Memphis. So if you're wondering about the low minute total, he was dealing with some foul stuff as well. So they put Chris Dunn into the starting lineup, and they were quite competitive. They lost to the Blazers by four. That's a good win. Or not a real win, but that's an emotional win. Went to Sacramento, beat the Kings three days ago. 113-106. Come home, beat the Grizzlies. Now they got the Warriors coming up tomorrow. And they go on the road to play the Heat. They host the Raptors. There's probably a couple of losses coming up there. Uh... But the Bulls actually have a chance to go on a three-game winning streak here against some... The Kings are not a horrible basketball team, but, you know, not the great, not the greatest competition here over the last three games in a row. When Chandler Hutchinson comes back, I think there's going to be some measure of pull to throw him back into the starting lineup. But at the same time... And again, I know you could argue that the competition has been weaker. But at the same time... Look back at some of the losses the Bulls took when they were running out their other lineup. They lost to the Knicks on October 28th. They lost to the Cavs on October 30th. We already told you they lost to the Warriors last week. Lost to the Blazers twice? That's fine. Portland's better than them, but Portland's not very good this year. This is, this last three-game stretch for Chicago, the loss to the Blazers, the wins over the Kings and the Grizzlies, uh, are arguably three of their best games of the year and probably the best three-game stretch in a row that Chicago's played all season. You could argue that Lakers-Hawks back-to-back was their previous two-game best in a row. I think this is, and, and I'm betting Bulls fans will agree with me, I think this is the first time all year that Bulls fans have watched three games in a row and thought, that didn't look so bad. For three straight games, you didn't get to think that. And the big change is Chris Dunn. So I'm no rocket scientist on all this, and I'm not saying that he's going to be the the be-all, end-all solution for what they've got going wrong with their team, but seemingly having him in there is helping with ball movement and defense, and it's translating nicely. So, translating now over to the fantasy standpoint, I thought that having Chris Dunn in the starting lineup might adversely affect Tomas Sadoransky, and it seemed to in the game in Sacramento. He wasn't that great in that one. Sado didn't shoot the ball well. But actually, overall, the three games that Dunn's been starting, Sado's been fine. Because, again, you're talking about another guy who's not a shoot-first point guard. So movement, ball movement. Sadoransky somehow is still number 105 on the season. He's been inside the top 60 over the last two weeks. I love him. I love his game. So I like Sato. Sticking by my guy, Sato. <laughs> um, and I'm picking up Chris Dunn. 
And I know that his, his lines over the last couple of games have not exactly been blowing the roof off the stadium. These, these are not big-time needle-mover performances. 9-7-2 with two steals. 6-3-4 with two steals. 10-4-4 four four with one steal. But here's the thing, and, and we've seen this before with Dunn. He's never going to do it in the points department, so you shouldn't be hanging your hat on that. Even when he had carte blanche for half a season in Chicago two years back, he was taking 13 shots a game and averaging 13 points. So there's, there's never going to be an efficiency from the offensive standpoint. He doesn't hit three-pointers, and he doesn't get to the free-throw line. Even when he does, he's not that great. But what you're looking for from him is very high level of steals. Very high. He's averaging two a game in 21 minutes. So you throw him in there as a starter and give him another... I mean, 21 minutes on top of that, you could add another six or seven. That's potentially another 30%. A lot of stuff is going to get a kick in the pants. I mean, you're looking at four, five, six assists. You're looking at three, four, five rebounds. You're looking at over two steals a game and maybe eight to 10 points. Absolutely, that guy belongs on a basketball team in case it sticks and in case he keeps the starting job even after Chicago gets healthy. Could this be the thing that helps them get stuff out of all five starters? I don't know that that's necessarily true, but winning begets winning begets confidence, pushes the reserves down the pecking order. We saw very little from Kobe White over this stretch, you'll probably notice. And until something flips, you ride the hot hand, and right now those hot hands are the starting five. Hey, guys, don't forget to sign up for the Bruise Letter at hoop-ball.com slash newsletter or via the pop tab on the Hoop Ball homepage. And please don't forget to drop a five-star review on the show as well by opening up iTunes on your computer or the podcast app on your mobile device, searching for Fantasy NBA Today, clicking on the show title, and then scrolling down to the bottom where you can leave a five-star review, and I will love you forever. Again, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at Dan Bespris or send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com if you have any questions or just want to get uh, involved on the uh, the contributor side. But before we go, we still have this short Thursday card. A uh, quick little look ahead, see if we have any homework to go over. Washington hosting the Philadelphia 76ers. Obviously, seeing how things develop, does Mo Wagner play? Because if he does, he's going to be a name to watch for sure. Davis Bertans, Rui Hachimura have been doing a lot uh, more with both Wagner and Thomas Bryant out. What happens to those guys, particularly Rui, when any of the centers actually come back? And then Isaiah Thomas saw a big usage bump in his last two ball games. We'll see if that continues to take shape in this one against a much bigger, stronger, and better team in Philadelphia. I'm inclined to think that the answer is probably not. For the Nuggets, they're coming off... Honestly, a little bit of an embarrassing game. A little bit of an embarrassing game against the Lakers, particularly Nikola Jokic. Everybody was out there hustling and flying and falling and, and making every effort they could to catch up with the Lakers team that was basically beating them the entire ballgame. And then Jokic, who was this crazy albatross on the floor. He looked horrible. And his teammates didn't really call him out. They're, they're too close of a unit for that. But they phrased it in a way that was a subtle call-out. They said, we, we have to run through Jokic. We're at our best when we're running our offense through Nikola Jokic. And that was their way of saying, wake up. Wake up, Jokic. Here's the thing. I, I, 
my kid wants to chime in on Nikola Jokic. Here's the thing. I don't know that it's that simple for him to just poof, wake up. Because he's moving slowly, he's out of shape, and I think the league is a little bit more accustomed to what Denver's trying to do. He's still going to get his assists, his rebounds, whatever. The aggression's going to have to come when he's moving better. So, two things can be true here. He's a buy low, but I also don't think he's getting nearly as high as he was projected to. He, as the sixth pick, is not going to be a good pick. I think we can probably just say that. He's not going to go, even if he does go on one of those first-round runs, it's probably not going to be enough to make up for, I mean, we're almost, you know, we're almost 30% of the way through the season right now, and he's sitting near the end of the top 50. You can you can overcome that with 70% of first-round value, but is that happening overnight? I don't, I don't think so. We'll keep an eye on Mitchell Robinson over on the Knicks side, but uh, nothing special there. He remains a buy low for me, especially as he continues to fall a little bit. He's a specialist, and you should be able to get him at a good price now. Uh, I want to know if Daniel House is playing for Houston. I miss you, Daniel House. Get back into this damn thing. You know that you're my favorite, not just because you have my name spelled funny with a U instead of an I, but uh, yeah, I've got you on a bunch of fantasy teams, and I'm, this is a bad illness. Uh, take a bunch of medicine. Let's get this thing going. Toronto, uh, with Serge Ibaka back, I am starting him. Chris Boucher is basically donezo. I don't know how Norman, pa- Norman Powell is continuing to hang on to value, but I think that's probably about to evaporate. Um, OG Ananobi is looking like he's settling more into that 3 and D role that we kind of assumed he would, and then he went crazy to start the year, and I thought, oh, well, maybe there's more here. Uh, now it's looking like, no, there, there isn't really much more there. He's 3 and D with maybe like a little, like one round of upside beyond that. Phoenix, New Orleans, back-to-back for the Suns. I I assume with Aaron Baines not playing in the first half of the back-to-back, he's not expected to go in the second, but who knows? Obviously, they need him. Derek Favors listed as questionable for this game for the Pels. That's about as close as we've gotten. He's been ruled out generally a day in advance for every one of the games he's had the back issue and then had to deal with the death in the family here over the last, I think, three he's now missed. If this is the one he comes back, this would be a really nice way to walk back into it. Dealing with Dario Saric and a Frank Kaminsky front court? Have lunch, Derek. I hope that this long layoff, obviously the emotional toll that it's taken on him is not something that will go away anytime soon, but hopefully it allowed him time to get his back in better shape. He was starting to look really, really good before the back spasms kicked in. So um, that's a thing. Obviously, that's good. if Ferry Favors does play, Jackson Hayes will disappear. Same with Julio Okafor. Uh, You're going to see a lot of rebounds evaporate for some of the wings like Josh Hart and Brandon Ingram, so that'll deal a little bit of a hit to those guys. I'm going to continue to roll J.J. Redick out there. I think they need his shooting and floor spacing. And, uh, I mean, you're looking at a game here that could see a whole bunch of points and a Pelicans team that should have a lot of fantasy value. So a lot to keep an eye on on a short Thursday card. Should be a fun one. Again, tomorrow, we'll wrap things up here on Fantasy NBA Today for the week. We'll get you profiled for the weekend in preview, as we've been doing every week. Uh, A lot of things to keep an eye on, man. Good time for homework assignments. Check out all your teams. See how different pieces fit. That's really the lesson of this week. You're not at the point of the year where you need to be hunting specialists yet. You should still be chasing upside in your waiver wire pickups for now. And that's why it's important to catalog guys into streamer category Are they a little bit more than that? Is there anywhere they could go that's up? And it's why we actually spend a little bit more time with a guy like Chris Dunn and a guy like Jarrett Culver. 
in going over some of that stuff from the Wednesday box score. Uh, I know we have a show called The Box Score Breakdown. I know that this show almost turned into an episode of The Box Score Breakdown. I also know that's going to happen sometimes during the regular season. Rate and review the pod. Hit me up if you want to be a contributor. Sign up for the Brews Letter. Have a wonderful Thursday, everybody. What the hell day is today? We will talk to you Friday. Wrap things up. I am Dan Bespris. Toodaloo. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.